Hi guys, welcome to the Alternative Podcast. We've got Jehan here today. Um, he's a specialist in the area of subconscious self-sabotage. He also runs a podcast called Boundless Authenticity. And we'll leave all the details in the description. Jehan, do you want to introduce yourself? Tell us a little bit more about your journey and how you got where you are today. Yeah, I am Jehan Santor. I am a CTAA, that's um, Complementary Therapist Accreditation Association, um, Cognitive Behavioral Therapist, Hypnotherapist, Nutrition Coach, and um, I'm also a mindfulness teacher, but I specialize in something called subconscious self-sabotage because at the end of the day, I guess if you break down all of psychology, you're just dealing with whatever has been screwed up in your subconscious, whatever is whatever information has been changed from your natural state of being, right? Because we're all born perfect and intelligent and confident and strong, you know, but it's our beliefs that change and, and over time we do stuff that really just isn't good, you know? So yeah, I, I got on this journey because I had a rough start. I didn't have a terrible childhood compared to others, but it was mostly because my parents just were doing what they could do with what they had, but they're also very um, unsure of themselves, especially my dad. He was an abusive alcoholic and stuff like that, and I would constantly get these negative affirmations in my head on repeat. And so by the time I was a teenager, I was in the perfect position to kind of act that out because I gravitated towards music around 10 years old and by 14 I was teaching and playing on stage and by the time I was 17 I was going up for record label deals and things like that and I had some pretty uh some dark and interesting experiences with the music industry and that continued up into my mid-20s and eventually I went screw it I'm not doing this and I gave it one last ditch effort and ended up touring across the United States and learning a lot about the industry. And then eventually at a bar gig one night, I was just like bossing around the sound guy and this really tall blonde haired guy with blue eyes comes up and taps me on the shoulder. And he's like, I notice you have a tremendous affinity for leadership. Have you ever heard of coaching? And I was like, what? No, hold on. And I kind of looked back over at the sound guy. I was telling him something. I turned around to talk to this tall guy and he was gone and I searched the entire bar for him and I couldn't find him anywhere. And I just thought that was so weird that he wanted to tell me about coaching so badly, but then he dipped. So I went home and I checked it out and um, it just seemed like it, it was something that I wanted to do. And um, that's when I got my first um, certification from the Life Mastery Institute. And I found out that was a scam, a very expensive scam. And it really didn't provide me with the tools that um, I needed to help people on an individual level. Because everybody's just going to be different. But the thing that blocks them from getting where they need to be is some dormant programming that keeps firing off whenever they try to change something about their life. And then, of course, there's emotions and things about that. And, you know, that that coaching stuff is all scripted. So I realized I had to kind of take a few more years and um, do some schooling and figure out 
what was going on with psychology and all that kinds of stuff. But I'd always been interested in psychology. I actually took psychology in university, but I never did it as a major. And <laughs> I, just, I just laugh every time I tell this story because the psychology lecturer ended up being a huge pedophile and he got kicked out in like the last semester or something. So we had to fend for ourselves. They never sent a substitute or anything. And I kind of lost interest in it because I was like, wait a minute, this guy's supposed to be a psychologist, but he's a pedo. That doesn't make any sense. I want to get the hell out of here. So I actually just quit to do music <laughs> full time. Yeah. Yeah, that's funny. I'm, I'm getting taught how the mind works by someone whose mind doesn't work in the best way. <laughs> and that's actually how it goes out there. It's sad to say, I'm not dogging out any of my colleagues or anything. They're all great, but there's a lot that we all acknowledge the the majority are just kind of down for the Rockefeller agenda of seeing people as broken. And they're also just mind control slaves. They're programmed to be one way, deal with the problem one way, and see people fundamentally as broken objects that need to be fixed that probably never will be fixed when the opposite is true, right? It's the same as the pharmaceutical industry, right? Just get them hooked onto something which they can just keep rolling through the cycle and keep rolling through the cycle are you saying that's the same thing in what the personal development um, world yeah it's essentially the same agenda the personal development world is just an offshoot of the cult of psychotherapy and um there you got to remember that the reason why psychology and psychiatry exists is so that they can make these people doctors so that it can be comparable to allopathic medicine which they had already established which was all about right routing people away from uh you know the natural methods and alternative ways of healing and stuff that we grew up on as a society and moving them into taking medication a pill for every ailment you know what yeah. um sort of directed you down this route down the alternative route then so you said you you, you spoke to or some guy tapped you on the shoulder and told you about would you be interested in coaching what when you went to go and study about coaching what ended up put you on the route the alternative route rather than the mainstream agenda driven route because by that time i was diving more into my spiritual self as a solution to my own challenges and so when you're coaching they they tell you about the iceberg model which is a, a Freudian type thing, really, um, where 95% of your subconscious mind is unknown and that's what runs your life. And then your conscious mind is only doing about 5%. And so that's been found to be true. But essentially before that, I was aware of that because I'd read a bunch of different psychology books and um, things like that. And I was just very intrigued by the fact that there's a whole side of us that can override anything and completely take over our behavior. And I just knew that that was something that needed to be explored in detail. And um, I guess really to answer your question is that the coaching world is very scripted. Uh, if you go on any coaching YouTube channel or website, 
you will notice that the language is almost exactly the same. And, um, you know, even to a certain extent, I'm kind of guilty of it. If you go on my website, you'll see certain language. But there's a the reason for that, because that's what has been proven by science to work, to communicate to people that this thing is what's going on and this is why you need my service. But then when they get to me, <laughs> I kind of break out of that and I kind of am as rambunctious as I'm being with you guys. And they're like, whoa, this is totally different than what I expected. And um, I just realized that asking questions like what seems to be the challenge for you or coaching really is just an offshoot of the word coaxing. So telling people what to do doesn't help them either. And when you are just starting out as a coach, you don't have any idea what you're getting into. And I know that what's true for me in that instance is going to be true for everybody else. And I've met a lot of other coaches and stuff that were trained the same time as I was or in my journey, I've met up with other coaches and they couldn't lead a horse to water if they and the horse were on a boat. They couldn't do it because they haven't gone there first. And I realized I had to deal with my own issues first. I had to deal with everything before I put myself in a position to do things. And I have to say, I did continue doing coaching as I learned and as I grew and it gave me chances to apply certain things that I needed more perspective on other than just applying it in my own life but you got to apply everything that you learn in your own life and see exactly the mechanics of it before you put it onto somebody else's situation and still know that that person's situation is going to be completely unique because they're living whatever reality they've created for themselves and you then have to be able to lift yourself out of your body and put yourself into their body and see where they're going that's where things like empathy and compassion come along and those things require practice it's complete surrender on your part you know because it's difficult not to run everything that somebody says through a judgment or a need to correct or all these different things so I found that the coaching methods did not leave that, I guess, in a position to be analyzed, assessed, and have any problem solved. I also noticed that the therapeutic model didn't work because at that time when I started coaching, I was reading books about um, dealing with anxiety, using CBT questioning frameworks and stuff. None of the clinical frameworks for dealing with anything and i mean these are psychologists that are defining the history of psychology that you will see their names referenced on papers from way back and the kinds of questions that they're asking don't quite fit the bill so i learned that there had to be a different way of listening to someone that was the key i was like okay so i'm never gonna know what to do unless i actually listen to this person on such a deep level that I can pick out what language they're using and kind of feed back to them what they could potentially be saying to get to the bottom belief because it's like, do I have something nearby here? It's like a belief is a table. And let's say that these are my table legs right here. It's a very odd looking table. But as I ask questions and I get a person to admit to one of those things that they're carrying, that one has to come in and you see what happens to that piece of paper. 
as I ask another question, that kind of has to come in and then eventually it'll just collapse on itself. So there's always this bottom belief. And I kind of learned by application that way and working with myself and working with people and realizing that my mind didn't work any differently from anybody else. Everything that is true for me in terms of the way my mind works is true for everybody else. And I just started applying the things that work for me on other people. Mm. How have you found sort of, because it's about the mind, right? And for someone to accept the fact that they need coaching or they want to get coaching, that has to run through their mind. But you're, you're talking about it in an alternative, all completely alternative way where people who might go out and look for coaching, would they resonate with that side? And I'm saying this because they're sort of brainwashed in a way where all of these fake um, personal development people have been so heavily marketed to a point where if someone's then going to go out and find someone to to coach them, they would automatically be more attracted to these sort of phony ones rather than the alternative sort of real ways that, that you're going around it. Have you found a problem there in the marketing, whereas people might be... Yeah, people want the shiny object. Yeah. Tony Robbins is a shiny object. Anybody with 10,000, 20,000 followers on Instagram appears as a shiny object. It automatically signals to that person, oh, they have a big following. I need to follow them too. And the majority of these people, like I said, they don't know what the hell they're talking about. I saw a guy the other day, he had like a thousand likes on this one post that he put out an hour ago. And all he was saying is that when you wake up in the morning, drink a glass of water. It's like, oh, fucking that's going to solve all of my life problems right there. Thank you very much, asshole. Right? And that's the kind of thing that gets the algorithm's attention on Instagram, if you notice, there's hardly anybody out there that's saying anything that's actually useful that has that many followers. They don't want that because if people start to assess themselves, that's a problem for all industries everywhere. And as it is, everything's collapsing in on itself because the pandemic was their last ditch attempt to try to thwart the global awakening, so to speak. And what it actually did was it backfired and it caused more people to wake up, right? So it, it's the thing with evil um, that is funny as hell because they're, they move like narcissists. Most of the time, stuff backfires on the narcissist. They'll try to triangulate you and then it won't work out. And um, you started asking your question by saying, you know, people accepting coaching and that's the problem. The reason why coaching continues to thrive is because like a lot, the majority of my clients, one of the things that they say to me is usually something along the lines of, I'm coming to you because conventional therapy has failed me in some way. Coaching allows for other therapists who've woken up, who embrace their spiritual selves to come out and help people in an unregulated way. When you're a licensed therapist, you can't tell the truth at all. In fact, most, most of the licensed therapists I've ever met, they're not self-aware enough to know what the truth is. And if they do, they're afraid because they're under paycheck mind control. They don't want to lose their jobs. They'll kick you out real quick for saying things. If you ever talk to Jerry Marzinski, he'll validate that for you. Um, 
So anyways, that's just the way it is. People know that they want help. But as you correctly said, they have to want to accept help. They have to want to see themselves as people who can lower their guard a little bit, be vulnerable and have someone else come in and take the reins for them, so to speak, because what happens is, and this is not childhood trauma at all, but what happens in childhood is that a lot of people, if their parents have to go to work and they have to go to school, they're learning that the very person that I need to be with me 24-7 to reinforce things for me and make me feel safe isn't present. So they have a hard time in their adult life asking for help from other people, right? So it's not really a trauma. It's something that we all collectively go through. We still turn out just fine. But when it comes to solving our own problems, we have a little bit of difficulty seeing past that barrier and realizing, okay, it's actually fine to ask for help. The same thing goes for therapy and stuff like that. A lot of guys have problems with their emotions because we're not supposed to be um, crybabies as guys. We're supposed to chop your fucking head off. We're not supposed to be crying to our wives about what's going on in our daily lives. We're not supposed to let them see that because we're supposed to be protecting and and um, nurturing and giving care. We're supposed to be tough when something happens you know, the dad's supposed to be there, that masculine archetype supposed to kick in and there's no fear, no tears, right? So it's hard for guys to lower that as it is. The majority of my clientele is women. I would have to say about 95% is women. Mm. Do you find it more difficult coaching guys as well because of the barriers, because of the barriers they've got? A lot of guys are straight up pussies that come to me for coaching. They've been completely emasculated by society. Um, they've been completely beaten into submission by the way um, other women have been conditioned to treat men, by the way that mothers have been conditioned to raise boys, by the way that absent fathers had have an impact on the way that a male develops into a strong man by having to fend for themselves because they realize that it's a lonely place being a man in the world and that you really can't like if you try to reach out to people for help and you've got a mustache you're in trouble doesn't matter even if you're a tranny i mean i really did just say that like it's a hard place to be in this world if you've got facial hair you know you you are automatically looked at as though you are supposed to know exactly what's going on and you should be able to solve your own problems, you know? And a lot of guys just don't get that. And look at what they do to us in school. They invalidate our own intuition and they tell us that two plus two equals five. And if you deviate from that, you're a problem in society and you will never be anything unless you think that way. Then they funnel us into college, into a cult-like atmosphere, and we're taught that if we don't follow the herd and do what everybody else is doing there, then we're never going to fit in anywhere. Some of us get involved in partying and drugs and things like that because we're told that that's a natural process of self-discovery when it's far from natural. And so we're walking around as damaged males because I'm speaking specifically about males here, we're walking around as damaged nils. So we don't learn to be a man that when he w enters the room, he, you can feel the truth emanating from him like a radioactive 
weapon, you don't feel the energy of safety coming off of him. And um, we're not becoming men of virtue or men of true mental, emotional, intellectual strength anymore, right? So society's just been completely pussified, but the men suffer the most from the programming because if you can keep men weak, you can run the world, right? If the majority of men were critical thinkers and, um, you know, big, hard-backed, strong, aggressive, when necessary type men, they would have never been able to pull off the pandemic. Somebody would have chopped Bill Gates off from the back of the room, <laughs> right? So um, that's one of the biggest problems, I think. Um, yeah, talk, talking about the feminization of men, it's something like, we've all heard of, heard, listened to Andrew Tate. Um, Fuck Andrew Tate, he's feminized too. He's a big fucking bald baby. I was going to ask you, what's your opinion of him? He said, well, I can't even tell you my opinion. I can tell you to look at the way that he behaves and see that there's a fact, you know? And one of the old-time sayings is that by their fruits, you will know them, right? Um, I don't necessarily think that the whole thing about him going to jail was any conspiracy to get rid of him or anything like that because he's clearly back. It, was, it did appear like it's a slap on the wrist for something, but at the end of the day, the man is a misogynist and he was known for doing certain things to women that you should never do that that's just way too out there and it's disrespectful no real man would ever act like that um but Al, as albert einstein once said the only thing that interferes with my learning is my education and that's the first real step in feminizing men essentially um the reason why a man and a woman get married is has nothing to do with religion as is the narrative it's that when we were all living together in small communities they realized that the more a man slept around with different women the more the children suffered when the mother and the father of the children were together and they had a happy life together the child became a stable fully functioning adult so um, you know, like the thing about it is, is that <laughs> the teachers just get a school curriculum, so they're just getting paid to install these programs of what reality is supposed to be, what history is supposed to be, what is supposed to be true or false, and they don't know any better either. And they teach kids to comply to that external way of thinking, so that's not doing a good job for man or woman. Um. And one of the major things about the feminizing of men is that if you look at how women are conditioned, I was just talking to my girlfriend about this. Uh, I, I told her, I got to go on this interview. You got to tell me something that's going to get me riled up. So I rant and tell the truth about everything. <laughs> she, she started talking about the kids want to go to the mall. The girls want to go to the mall and put all makeup and I was like yeah that pisses me off because I don't that's something I don't like as a man because I know what purpose makeup serves it's to you know you get your lips red and you get your blush on and stuff like that and you appear more sexually attractive for men I don't think a nine-year-old girl should be doing that I don't think 14 year old girl should be doing that I think when you're 21 and you can make your own decisions and you are of marrying age 
and you want to do stuff like that, you can put on as much makeup as you want, but anything more than foundation is just too much for a child. You know, like these little girls are beautiful just as they are. And that's a part of the system because women are told that you can't get a man unless you trap a man. And a man is told that he has to lower his aggressive nature, his protective nature, and that he can't be nurturing if he's going to be a good uh, a good man or whatever and which is kind of ridiculous so if you notice that everything about that is completely <laughs> upside down essentially and um all the things like porn mess with that they, they it messes with your brain chemistry once you destroy a man's perception of himself then you got him by the balls and when it comes to porn quite literally you got him by the balls um when you tell them things like they're never going to be good enough unless they are a slave to money and they're away from the family that destroys the man's psyche because the man naturally wants to be there just as much as the the woman and it's a biological fact that when a man is in a relationship with a woman he moves in to the house with the white picket fence and 2.4 kids mentally before the woman does because he knows that's his role to kind of um, be a leader of a small group right and men are told that I guess if they don't conform to these standards they're not going to live up to that legacy and that legacy doesn't even really exist like I said before it's like are you a man of virtue? Are you a man that people feel safe around? Are you a man that little kids want to emulate? Those are the things that matter the most. And so look at how much of that is actually absent from society. Look at how many absent fathers we have and things like that. These guys that um, out of desperation, they commit some crime or because of how women, women are conditioned, they feel nagged underappreciated and validated um quite frankly some of them feel attacked and hated for whatever masculinity they do have and so they cheat or they leave right or they when they're there they're actually not there they're just sitting around watching tv sports is another thing that's used to emasculate men because subconsciously we have this lust for blood this competitive thing and we tend to identify with our favorite team and see ourselves as being a part of that that group, that tribe. And so look for ourselves inside of a tribe, that natural subconscious herd mentality, rather than focusing on building our tribe with our family, you know? Yeah, and they've used, they've used that mentality that we have as men and uh, the profited millions and well, billions of dollars or pounds from it because... They know that's something that's missing, but it's something that they've made missing anyway. And they've been like, well, let's stick sport here and make everyone addicted to it. Yeah, and that's been going on from time in memoriam. If you look at the way history has been going, it's always been this tribal mentality that has overrided everything. Sports has always been used as a control mechanism. The news has always been used as a control mechanism before the advent of the television. Um we had the town square, you know, and people would just like pass the message between each other. So it's kind of 
a weird thing because the people that run this world they understand psychology better than anybody else and they know that when you're under stress or in an emergency you're going to begin to run the programs that are in your subconscious mind and if they can get you to have unhealthy programming you're constantly going to be locked into a picture frame i like to say you don't see the picture when you're inside of the frame you're going to automatically act in ways and you can't see yourself playing out these automatic actions to you it's normal and other people might see the way that you're acting and point it out to you but you simply can't see it at all it's a whole 95% of you that's hijacked right yeah yeah i've i've got a question on this right and it's something that plays on my mind a lot um because on my journey, I've sort of realized this, but I know a lot of other people who are going on their journeys might not pick it up at the same speed. But I've been so sort of anti-establishment so much that you automatically get attracted to the likes of Elon Musk, for example, uh, Andrew Tate, Tucker Carlson. People, you get sort of attracted to them. You see it a lot with people who are attracted with Trump uh, in a bit more of a shallow way. What? How would people avoid that because that's something I'm looking deep in myself at the moment because yeah I've been prone to listening to these people and taking their words as gospel because I'm anti-establishment but then these people are also just as corrupting even if it is in their own way or in the same way yeah you know it's funny um we all subconsciously like i said want to gravitate towards what the herd is saying we want to move towards the person that seems like they have a following because they seem like they have the answers they might be saying things that are true but essentially people like andrew tate and tucker carlson they are just serving one purpose in the awakening because they're stirring the pot whether they actually have good intentions or bad intentions that's neither here nor there if you look at what they're doing they're stirring the pot and they're getting a lot of people to think so it serves a somewhat positive purpose but then you have people like them and let's say jordan peterson for example he says a lot of things that are true but then he also says a lot of things that are unhelpful and i would know that for a fact because a lot of women come to me and they're like my husband read a jordan peterson book and now he treats me like shit right and interpretation determines behavior we always hear perception dictates reality, but interpretation determines our behavior and how we interpret what's said, especially if it's said in, a, in an aggressive tone like Jordan Peterson, Andrew Tate, and things like that, Donald Trump, we start acting like a fool too. We emulate common behavior by default. And what happens to people is that when we take in so many chemicals and it's in the water it's in the food the fruit the meat caffeine sugar all that stuff it weakens our inner sensibility it weakens our ability to listen intuitively to what's going on and feel the energy of somebody and see that there's something going on is from a person like me that has for years been completely clean off of certain things I'll, I'll eat cookies and pizza with the kids every six months or so or something like that but i'm mostly just in a constant state of detoxification um my thoughts are very clean and i have no desire to be led by anybody else 
you know, it, those things weaken your sensibility. So what happens to people when they come out of the so-called matrix and they take a step back? They can see that Tucker Carlson only serves one purpose, and that's not necessarily um, a negative or a positive one, but they don't really care about what he has to say. Um, you can look at Andrew Tate and see that he's just a big, bald baby that gets something out of being rude and inappropriate. Um, and the same is, same is true for Jordan Peterson. If you look at what people actually produce in their lives, you can see that he's not stable either. He goes around talking all this stuff about people that is done in a way as though he's an expert on something, but within the past couple of years, look at what happened to him. He was hooked on, um, I think it's Ambien or something like that. And he came out crying and he was like, God, oh, give me a break. I fucked it up, guys. It's like, yeah, if you understood Jordan, anything that you were saying, you would never have put that medication in your mouth to begin with because it's about consistency. If you know your values and consistency is one of your values, which it should be regardless of what your other values are because you need consistency and congruency. Congruency is the ability to do what you say you're going to do with integrity and follow through with it every time consistently. When you value those things, you would never, ever make a mistake that's as silly as that. And so if you watch how these people behave and you, you can see what their values are because everybody wears their values on their sleeve, right? So I think that to answer your question, it's, that was a really roundabout answer, but one of the first things I work on with somebody is what are your values? Because when you ask people what their values are, most people actually don't know more than two or three values. They haven't gone through an entire list and they can say definitively my values are compassion, empathy, consistency, congruency, integrity, uh, you know, reliability, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Anything can be a value. And the scary part is that most people, they never choose integrity as one of their top three values. Without integrity, everything else falls. Integrity should be your number one, the ability to do what you say you are going to do, when you say you are going to do it, at the time you said you're going to do it, with fullness of spirit and every bit of your character in check whether you feel like doing it or not right so it's um i guess that's how we get trapped because we're looking for leadership when we don't feel like we don't have the answers but this is very new agey all the answers are within you but it's a continuous journey of looking every single day every moment of the day checking in with yourself and saying, okay, I have the answers. I don't need to research this. I know the answer to this. Intuitively, I have that answer. Also, if you read a lot, if you want to really develop yourself, don't look to a personal development guru. Find books on the topics that you're passionate about. You know, self-learning, because learning never stops. But if you direct your learning after the age of schooling and you move it in the direction of the things that you know are going to help you strengthen your psyche you're in a better off position than the majority of other people out there that are going to 
be scrolling through their death rectangle looking for answers on Instagram. Nobody on social media is trying to actually help you. They're trying to make a buck off of you, right? Including me. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Yeah, I've seen your Instagram. It's amazing, your Instagram. Yeah. Yeah, I'm just kidding. I, uh, that's why I don't have a big following because I'm actually trying to get people to critically think. I'm trying to give them the information that they won't get from an Instagram reel. That's why I don't really make reels. I want people to, that's everything. My, my posts, they all kind of look like stickers and stuff where it's like very small bits of information. I hardly do long form captions because I don't want to confuse people. I want to give people an idea that is true and have it in your face right there. So you can take that one bit of information if that's the only thing you read for today and you can self-reflect on that. Self-reflection is key to any path of growth. And the more you self-reflect, the more likely you are to arrive at the right conclusions. Yeah. Do you know, um, I, I get what you're saying. Um, and I, I, I do understand why it's called... Um, subconscious self-sabotage but uh, I guess my question is more what's the process that you take with these people to sabotage themselves in this way say that again what's the process that like if someone comes to, because you do um subconscious self-sabotage what's the process someone will take to be successful in in doing this well, we have to understand all of the different components that go along with self-sabotage and it's a lot now, there's a reason why in society we have big name people, again, funneling you back into the idea of childhood trauma and the first seven years of your life. The first seven years of your life were just seven years. Everything you learn in those seven years, you're actively trying to prove and disprove. That's why little kids push the boundaries so much, right? The little kids are very smart. You literally can't break a kid unless you break their psyche. Um, using stuff I'm going to talk about in a little bit. So I would advise anybody to get familiar with Jean Piaget's work on cognitive development. He says that zero to seven, you are getting your initial programming, which is true. But then from seven to 14, that seven-year period, you are testing the boundaries of that programming that you pick up from the culture around you, the community, your family, your friends, your siblings, whoever, and you're leveraging that against reality and you're discarding these programs to, based on what works for you. And then from 14 to 21, we know what happens in the average person's life. So they're in school, they go to college, they're with their friends, they're actively applying and discarding more programs or onboarding other programs and 21 to 35 as an adult everything that you haven't worked out as a child shapes your early childhood your sorry your early adulthood um and by the time you're 35 you're just a hardwired set of programs that it, it's a little bit more difficult to softwire in new neural networks and new programming and things like that so the next component to that I would educate people on is the different belief levels. There are four main levels of belief that every person has. And the first one is the core belief level. 
that's what we're taught and the stuff that we accept from childhood. And when I say childhood, I mean from the time you are in the perinatal phase in your mother's belly until you're 25, 26, 27, when your brain stops developing. You're now an adult when you're 26 years old because your brain has finally stopped growing. Um, those beliefs are a deep part of us. And all of that stuff is in the prefrontal cortex, the frontal lobe of the brain. That's important. I'm going to cycle back to that in a second. The second level of belief is the genetic level. Those are all the programs that are carried over from our parents and our ancestors that are added to our genes for epigenetic expression. Epigenetics means above the level of a gene expression, and it's triggered by whatever is in your environment. Now, those beliefs are held inside of this big bubble around you called the morphogenetic field of intelligence. You can check out Rupert Sheldrake's work. He's a physicist. Uh, the morphogenetic field. This informs the DNA through the subconscious, and it tells the DNA how to react, how to behave, how to adjust, um, what emotions to express, what emotional states to express, like anxiety, depression, things like that. Um, but it also informs yourselves as to how to behave as well in certain ways. So sometimes that's why if a person believes that they had an ancestor that died from heart disease, they can literally manifest that because they believe it on such a level. But it goes far deeper than that. You can be doing stuff and self-sabotaging in your life because out of fear, your great, great, great grandfather was a tribesman and he was killed defending uh, the village for some reason. And you can be carrying out those same subconscious fears or whatever behaviors from that guy, that one guy, right? The history level is the next level, and that's about past lives and even deeper genetic memory. And those are concerned with the collective consciousness experiences. Good example, a lot of us behaved in sabotaging ways within the past three years because of the pandemic because we've experienced that before we've experienced um, massive threats where there was famine and plagues things like that so we we were automatically acting like that so it wasn't just to, to add this in there because i love to add this in there it, matthias desmond or whatever he's an industry player he's trying to convince he came out very quickly trying to convince people that it was mass formation psychosis it doesn't work like that. Every individual is as unique as their thumbprint and they're reacting to what is in their subconscious that's imprinted on these different levels, right? Plus what's coming from the television, but I'll get to that part in a second. And they act on their own unique individual internal representation systems, which are the coping strategies that we develop during Jean Piaget's stages of cognitive development up until whatever age we're at, right? We are developing those internal representation systems uniquely, 100% ours. So we didn't all just get funneled into mass formation, right? 
that was something that he made up because he wanted to sell a book, <laughs> basically. You know, and the entire truth community kind of jumped on it. They were like, yeah, everybody's, you know, they're in mass formation, but nobody was asking the right questions about that because they don't understand this stuff. So um, the last level that I would tell you about is the soul level. Everything that's in your heart, the heart is the thing that develops first when you're a baby. The heart and then the tongue grow first and then everything grows around that and so that heart is what's carrying the majority of information anybody that's listened to greg braden's work by now they know that there's sensory neurites that actively make decisions so your heart's making choices for you all the time and where is the subconscious mind it's in the body right subconscious really has very little to do with the brain you could have your brain opened up on an operating table and your mind would still be going, right? So um, <clears throat> you got to understand those levels because it's a lot of stuff. So I'm trying to pull all this stuff into one section. So the next thing you need to kind of get your head around would be the role of the prefrontal cortex and the limbic system in everything. Now, I've mentioned this before. If you're taking in caffeine, sugar, et cetera, et cetera, your limbic system is under attack all the time. So the limbic system is the emotional center of the brain. It's at the back of the brain stem. It includes the amygdala and things like that. We know that there's different types of anxiety that are amygdala-based. And we also know that there are types of anxiety that are triggerless. So the limbic system is a recording device. It records every single thing that happens to you from the time it's developed in early childhood. And it goes through these different phases. The brain goes through these different phases of basically construction where it, get, it grows, expands. And the limbic system is doing a large portion of it for you, but it's working in tandem with the prefrontal cortex. And so what are the things that people come to me for when they're coaching? Well, the answer to that question is they're struggling with willpower, motivation. They're procrastinating. They feel like they don't have any confidence. Their self-esteem is low. Their feelings of general well-being are lacking. They feel purposeless, directionless, their relationships are suffering, their health is suffering, their diet is poor, they're having problems sticking to an exercise program, some aspect of their career or financial stability isn't where it should be or it's non-existent. Um, and what does that have to do with the limbic system? Well, if you keep a person's limbic system in survival mode, constantly in what we, I'm going to add some more categories to this that aren't talked about because we always hear about fight, flight, freeze. Um, but there's also sexual arousal and there's also fawn, the fawn response, people pleasing, right? Where you just want to give your, perceived attacker, whatever it is, they need to not hurt you. That's what we do with the government. That's what we do with the people that live inside of the death rectangle 
when they're telling us things, we're like, oh, okay, this person's an expert. They said that I am going to onboard that as a part of me and never going to question it. I'm just going to regurgitate what they say because if sounding like I know something is going to make me feel safe. I don't actually have to go and find out now because that person's got all the answers for me. They've done all the research. No, go research every single damn thing I say when you leave this podcast and see how true it is, right? Because when you take away people's free thought, they're in the fawn response and they're trusting you unnecessarily because they perceive you as an expert, right? So let's go back to those stages. The limbic system is activated by things that we don't think would activate it. Caffeine is stressful on the brain. Caffeine deactivates the brain to 52% function within 10 minutes of drinking a cup of coffee or a cup of tea. Right Now, what do we do? We feel like we need coffee because we are programmed with the idea. It's in... It's in the background of every television show. It's on all the commercials. It's on every street corner. We're told that it's good for us. We need it to wake up. It gives us energy, all of these different things. But what coffee does, caffeine in general, it borrows energy from tomorrow. So we take away tomorrow's energy. We're in survival mode today because all the hormones of stress, something called adrenocorticotrophic hormone, is produced inside of the body. And that messes with all of our hormone levels. That messes us with our ability to be present and regulate ourselves. The limbic system is going nuts. And when you're under stress, 95% of your life is being hijacked by the unhealthy programs of survival. Subconscious mind will carry out any program, even if it's negative, to keep you safe. It's just concerned with what is going to create safety right now. It doesn't matter the long term. So when somebody drives past and they've got on the latest, I don't know, if it's a woman and she's gone on the latest perfume by Rihanna or whoever, and that punches you in the nose. It's so strong. All the unnatural chemicals in that go right up into your nose, cross the blood-brain barrier, activate your limbic system, Later in the nighttime, you feel a little bit anxious. You don't know why. Triggerless anxiety. You have nothing going on in your mind that you can think of that happened throughout the day or throughout the week, but you experience nervousness, anxiety, a little bit of tension, clenching your jaw, something. You feel unsettled. You can't sleep. Something isolated like that can affect you, affect that limbic system, triggers a stress response. Um, memories of the past are linked to our senses. So olfactory, smell, gustatory, taste, auditory, kinesthetic, visual. And um, every time that our senses detect something in the present moment, we automatically reconnect with the previous experience. So without that function, we would be unable to survive and interpreting new experiences in the present would be damn near impossible without that, right? And so the limbic system, again, is in charge of that faculty. It's linked to our memories 
And because it's a recording device, we're constantly looking at our memories from the past and referencing information because we don't want to recreate that experience again. But in self-sabotage, we're continually repeating the same experience over and over again, and we cannot see the problem. Why? Again, because we don't see the picture when we're inside the frame. Now, back to the triggerless anxiety. Alcohol is going to have the same effect on you. 18 to 26 hours of beer or whatever, rum and cokes or whatever it is you had, is still inside your body. Your organs feel like they're being attacked. Sending signals up through your subconscious to your limbic system saying, we are under attack. Fight. Get away. Do something. So we are walking around dysregulated. If we're taking in sugar, the same thing's happening. We're taking energy from tomorrow, creating that fear effect in the brain. We're not making good choices. We're drunk, essentially. We don't think of it that way because we're conditioned to separate alcohol from cocaine, from marijuana, from sugar, et cetera, et cetera, right? But everything's affecting the limbic system. Now, when you take into consideration all of the things, the thrills, the cheap thrills, as I like to call them, that we get from TV and music and stuff, why do we listen to music? Because we want to feel something. Because music is often cited as the language of the heart. Yes and no. Um, we experience emotions because emotions are chemical, biochemical responses in the body. Something's being manufactured as a response to a stimulus. We want to feel joy because where we're at, we don't feel any joy. We never say, oh, I'm so traumatized because I laughed so hard yesterday. It was the best thing that ever happened to me. Oh, fuck, I'm so traumatized. We don't do that. We are always looking at the terrible thing and saying, this thing happened. I don't know how to get over it. And sometimes listening to music can be a good way to put that on shuffle in our minds. And just kind of like not have to deal with it right now. We get to feel joy right now, but that takes away from our natural ability to generate joy. Music is a form of escapism, and it's down to a science. Modern music is down to a science. Um, Confucius said that you would know the symptoms of a sick society based on its music. And we can look at the content of the music and the way that it's structured and everything. The Eastern way of playing music isn't the same scale and stuff. I won't get into a music theory lesson here, but I will say that you want to know what a person believes, look at what they watch and look at what they listen to. That's what they emotionally identify with. What your limbic system is emotionally identifying with is the patterns that you're creating in your life whether you see it or not. And the majority of people are going to be like, that's not true. I'm not you know, creating what little Uzi said or did. Well, you can't see it because you're in your subconscious mind. So you can't reference those things. Other people can see it. When they try to call you on it, you get upset with them. It's hard for you to hear, right? So looking at phones 
and television screens, any kind of screen, deactivates the, and dysregulates the prefrontal cortex within 90 seconds of looking at any screen. So the prefrontal cortex is responsible for compassion, empathy, confidence, motivation, willpower, creativity, patience, the ability to focus on a task, and our spiritual connection. Exposure to screens and TV have also been found to degrade your limbic system because both those things work together and they're the cause of automatic negative thoughts, triggerless depression, overwhelm that comes out of nowhere, brain fog, lethargy, feeling like you didn't get enough sleep when you wake up in the morning, triggerless anxiety, irrational fears, and anger. Now, why is that? Because when that screen is on, your subconscious mind cannot tell the difference between reality and what's on the screen. The subconscious mind automatically becomes that character. It automatically becomes Andrew Tate. It automatically becomes Tucker Carlson. It automatically becomes David Icke. It automatically becomes me. <laughs> right? You can see it with yourself sometimes, right? If you've been listening to... I don't know, even if you've been watching a sitcom for, I don't know, the last four years of your life or something, something will happen in your life later down the line and you can feel yourself resonating with that person who you've watched for them that number of years. So that's definitely... Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you just you just hit the nail right on the head. I mean, TV has influenced an entire generation. I noticed that with one of my friends, he used to love this sitcom. And when I looked at him and I watched the sitcom, I was like, them to the main character in the sitcom was acted just the same as way the way we made it. I just thought it was weird, but now you've put it together, it makes sense. These are the problems that my clients are literally coming to me with. I am acting in this way. I don't know why I'm acting in this way. When we do the deep work with them, it's not childhood trauma. Their childhood was fine. They're not picking this up from any of their parents. Their parents have no idea why they would be acting in this way it's because look at what's on the tv i've I've been loving this example because it's so funny but not funny at the same time to me i had a client the last couple of weeks she wanted to quit smoking and her favorite movie is bridget jones's diary the upshot of that session was that she realized that she'd been living bridget jones's life for 20 years she's in her 40s Right. And she had an aha moment. She's like, oh, shit. So whenever I say we were on a break. What comes to mind when I say that? You may not know, but somebody that's listening might know. They might think of friends. Right. Ross Geller. Yeah. That character. He justified doing what he did. We were on a break. It was okay to do that. So how many people in this generation are sleeping around? And justifying poor choices of behavior because it was on Friends. As any any romantic comedy or things like Will and Grace, Fresh Prince of Bel Air, um, what's that other one? There's a lot of like King of Queens. That's a perfect example for an emasculated male. If you look at Kevin James's character in King of Queens, the Adam Sandler's Family Guy, things like that. 
great examples. Um, the idiotic male that can't get his shit together. Yeah, you always see see that same type of character. The, ma- the males in sitcoms are always the stupid ones. The ones it's who always the same. Channing Tatum. Yeah, yeah, it's always the same themes on repeat, and so um, it, it makes our subconscious play out these patterns because we believe that we are the person in the TV show. The subconscious mind believes that deeply. So do you think there's yeah. an, another side of it too where um, the, the ones, the powers that be in control, they're with like video games, for example, because you probably all heard that people say Grand Theft Auto's messing with children's mind. Yeah. Is it sort of where I look at like Grand Theft Auto and I look at um, other TV, which is junk, but it's not necessarily you can't directly correlate it with junk. If you was to uh, average person was to look at it and like pick up all the junk from this, they might not be able to directly correlate it. But for for example, a documentary on Netflix, I've always asked the question: Well, if there's so much corruption in the world, why are Netflix documenting on it? And what you've kind of put together in my head is. Then by them documenting on it, all these crazy things that happen in the world, it's just making us all more accustomed to the craziness of the world. So then when the powers that be do these same things, we're all a bit more like, oh, I've seen this before. It's it's not as much as a shock to our system. Exactly. We're desensitized. We're programmed with certain ideas. So we're already expecting certain things to be a particular way. But we, you know, that's the function of documentaries and the news and stuff like that in a lot of ways because it's, if you take like a HBO documentary, they will take any topic that's positive and they will make it as negative as possible because they know that's what sells, because that's what people are going to get hooked on to. And um, ask yourself, do you really want to get information in that way through fear? Or do you want to have a positive experience by getting it from a passive source, like a real book with real pages and apply that first and see if it works, see if it's true, you know, discuss ideas with your friends versus regurgitate information that you heard on on social media or TV or whatever it is, you know, even in my own development, there were things that I realized that I can't remember exactly what they were now, but there were things that I realized I thought about the world that weren't true because I'd seen it in movies and TV, you know. Um, it's it's a hard thing to get out of because in just 75 years or so, the TV has become a staple in every home. But we are being messed with on this level where kids are getting exposed to so much garbage by the time you know they are nine ten years old they know so much about the destructive aspect of the world that um if you look at things like school shootings and whatnot it's almost expected now like it, it was the same phenomenon with our parents' generation with the duck and cover. And now they're doing the same thing to us in schools where we expect that if we go to school, somebody could pull out a gun and start shooting. And what kind of a life is that for somebody to live? But the subconscious mind just kind of creates these themes 
And this is how stupid the mind is. If I said to you, suppose there's a pink fuzzy elephant behind you. What's happening in your mind right now? Your mind is trying to create a picture of a pink fuzzy elephant based on everything it's ever experienced with elephants and pink fuzz. It's going to look different to, to Aaron from Cam. It's going to look different in my mind, right? So we have to work on our mental strength so that when somebody says, don't think about that statue in New York that's holding a torch, don't think about that. That picture doesn't come to mind at all. We just kind of smirk and, and nothing happens, right? I say, don't think about a pair of Air Jordans that are black with a pair of pink socks that have got green, neon green fuzzy balls hanging from them. When somebody starts saying things and they're preaching into your mind certain things, you have to be able to be like, because mm. I'm sovereign. I'm in control of what I think of, even those small responses, right? But the average person that's watching television or listening to music, they're piecing together all these little bits and pieces of what's going on. If I, let me show you how devious songwriting is. If there's a song lyric and it goes, we fought like blank. What comes to mind to you? Is it not cats and dogs? Anything like that? Something animalistic. Most people's brains will fill in the blank. We fought like blank cats and dogs or some other thing. But if I said, uh, if I said we fought like <laughs> caterpillars, over a leaf nobody's expecting that because that's not really what's true in most cases nobody's out there watching these um, caterpillars fight to the death for a leaf right so in songwriting there's something that's used called the i you shift where it changes the perception the perspective of the listener into the perspective of the artist and in that same way you begin to piece together bits of your life and things that you've experienced whether it's real life or television you begin to imagine these scenarios so you re-traumatize yourself with things right next time you're listening to a, a romantic song or something try it out you're going to start recalling all of the things that you experienced when you were um you know in a previous relationship or whatever the case is so that's how it works and like you correctly said cam they know that they can put things put ideas in there that will come out later right like the covid thing is a, and i don't want to talk too much about that because i don't know if they're still striking people for this but i know i got hit pretty hard where i was talking about the marvel programming captain america they have that stuff in, on the billboards in the background Right. When you talk about, because um, obviously you was in the music industry as well, and every time you mention the music industry or songs, I can't help but think about how crazy it's all got. Because I've seen these videos of um, Beyonce's concerts, Taylor Swift concerts, The Weeknd concerts, and I, I guess I can't understand why millions of people are reluctant reluctant to see what it is they're actually portraying 
because it's so blatantly obvious. Like, what what do you think the reason is for? Because they're accustomed to it. The subconscious is going to carry you right back to the familiar every single time, unless you want to notice that and break away from the impulse. You're going to go right back to it. Most people don't have a joyful life. We've been so systematically broken down by when we were off camera, I was talking about the Barbados Slave Code, which became the manuscript for slavery around the world. Just because we're not on plantations anymore doesn't mean we're not slaves still. We're just slaves to other things. So we're slaves to the system. We're slaves to the comfort of coming home to a safe domicile turning on the TV, turning on Netflix, sitting on our computers, our phones, relaxing, being out of trouble, minding our own business. To us, that's being a good, law-abiding citizen. We're not getting in any trouble. We're not doing anything. And people have developed this entitlement to being entertained. But if you look at that word entertain, well... You look at the word obtain and you see that to obtain is to get something, right? And what's the last part of that attain? But first part of enter, something has to enter you and then it obtains you. It gets a hold of you, right? Now, what is that that gets a hold of you? Well, we can get into a whole set of esoteric stuff right now if you want to go down that route. Um, but the thing with people and entertainment is that most of us are stressed out because deep down we know that the life that we're living is manufactured. The matrix system is manufactured. We don't really want to be a part of it, but it's so safe. And we get those cheap thrills. We get those 1400 plus biochemical responses in our bodies when we feel an emotion. Most of us can't generate joy for ourselves in the daily life. That's why gratitude is so important because when you begin practicing gratitude daily throughout the day all the time it changes your brain structure it gives you that ability again to be grateful for no reason but what we have in society for the 80 percent of people is static gratitude i am grateful for this condition i am grateful for this material item i have Nobody's grateful just because today's the one day that I get to do whatever I want to do. Most people don't have that option because we don't get to do everything that we want to do. We're under paycheck mind control. We have to make money to survive. As long as we're in survival, we're not in joy, right? So the average person is going to gravitate towards escapism through entertainment and cheap thrills from listening to music and watching movies so that limbic system gets our response and they misperceive that experience of being the characters in the television for living a full life that's full of experiences they can't have on their own right that's even why we watch documentaries where steve Irwin lost his life trying to bring us good quality entertainment that reconnected us to nature something that he thought was important our connection to nature right so even things like Jack Hanna and, you know, I don't know if anybody remembers him, the animal guy. He's an, a guy that comes on. He used to come on TV when I was a kid and he'd have all these exotic animals and stuff, snakes and koalas and sloths and things like that. 
things like that exist to tap into that dormant part of ourselves that wants to be connected to nature. Well, go the fuck outside. <laughs> go the fuck outside and hug a tree. Talk to that tree. It wants to hear from you. Get a pet. Do all kinds of things that are outside of the the indoor culture that we've been programmed into. So people are just saying, I need a release. I need to let go, but I don't know how to let go. And that can then be a situation where somebody's over-caffeinated. The only reason somebody gets up and they drink a cup of coffee because they need it to wake up is because on the other side of that, subconsciously, they're saying to themselves, I fucking hate my life. I don't feel like I have what it takes to get up and go to work. And I just can't do it without some help. And so it numbs out that brain. It numbs out the body. And I can pretend that I have more energy than I already have, but then they crash and they need another cup of coffee. Same thing goes for alcohol. People get hooked on that because... Well, they get all hooked. They get hooked on marijuana for the same reason too, because every behavior has a reward attached to it, and it's usually a positive reward. So negative behaviors have a positive reward to it, and your brain is constantly looking for safety from a threat, from food. For, um, it's looking for shelter. It wants sex. Anybody can go Google or check out on YouTube Abraham Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And if you're honest with yourself, you can um, you can see that everything in conventional society is geared towards taking us away from the top of that pyramid, which is self-realization. We're kept in the bottom needs all the time. Food, sex, a home over our heads, things like that, right? Yeah, and also to... Um, sort of re reverse engineer what you're saying, kind of. If we were to take out the coffee from your life, the substances, the alcohol, all of the shit, basically, that you put into your body, the junk that you watch on TV, or any TV for that matter, and all of the sort of fast food, everything that's at your doorstep, every single thing that's convenient, basically, sort of remove that or start removing that from your life. What you're saying is, then your mind will start opening up to more positivity. Because if I'm eating junk food all day, drinking coffee all day, I'm going to be on the come down and my body's going to feel so dead that I'm only going to want to go home and switch on Netflix and just lay there like a cabbage for the rest of the night. But if I started a day differently and I didn't have that coffee and I didn't go to McDonald's for my lunch and started perfecting that part of my life, I then wouldn't feel the need to need to sit down in front of the TV and watch Netflix for the next six hours before I fall asleep. Yeah, exactly. And <laughs> I'm not laughing at anybody because I've been there. But it is so it's funny and it's sad at the same time because people are really coming to me with these programs. And again, online in, in the personal development culture, the psychotherapy culture we are taught to think that programming is this one thing that it's only just societal conditioning or it's only just um how we mimic behaviors and things like that but there's an entire language around the subconscious 
And a lot of programs are phrased in a particular way. The language of the subconscious is like, if if somebody doesn't, if somebody has trust issues, what they're saying is that I don't know what it feels like to trust, but that's not the way the language is phrased. And this is kind of why jumping around in front of a TV, clapping your hands, hands to a Tony Robbins DVD or going to a seminar and, you know, Pitbull comes on and gives you a fucking geography lesson with all the area codes that's in every song. Um, you know, that just gets you hype. That doesn't actually give you motivation to change anything in your life. And jumping around and affirming things doesn't get you into enough of an emotional state to change your programs. Because if somebody doesn't trust God because it's been programmed out of them, maybe they're an atheist or maybe they go to church. But the reason why they go to church is because subconsciously they feel like God doesn't love them because they're worshiping a violent God that throws lightning bolts at gay people or you know, throws, you know, Jesus is going to get you if you don't follow him, that kind of thing. What they're saying is that I don't know how to live my daily life knowing that it's possible to trust. So let's let's stop there because this will get real complex. And let me explain in great detail because I really want everybody to have this information. It should not be hidden. If you have a program that says, I am not enough, well, the actual language is, I am enough, comma, no. So in order to get that to be, I am enough, again, jumping around and clapping your hands and writing it on the mirror and red lipstick and listening to YouTube videos where somebody's just whispering affirmations is not going to change it because every time your subconscious hears it, it follows that up with no so you have to hack a person's subconscious mind which is very very easy to do and you have to change that to i am enough yes so if somebody doesn't trust god they have to have a program that says i know the definition of trust through the creator of all that is now listen to that language that's very different from god what's god god is dog reversed god is a minimalization of the creative force because we have a part of our brain that understands that there is a creator of everything and that's the ultimate source of power for everything when you use a word like god you diminish that power and you keep people in a real small state because they're then subconsciously trained to worship anyone with authority anything that they perceive as a god that's why money is god for people that's why their pastor is God. That's why their TV is God. That's why, um, I don't know, whoever your favorite music artist is, is a God to you, right? So if a person has trust issues, it's I know what it feels like to trust. And it's a very general program. It could be more specific. But the, where it changes in specificity is usually it's fear, anger, resentment, rejection guilt shame that there's programs that are are somewhere around there that you have to change from a yes to a no or i know how to live my daily life without resentment um other subconscious programs begin with the phrasing i know it is possible to do this thing to be this thing to have this thing you know um 
I don't want to get too far into that because that that'll be a way crazy topic for people to try to assimilate all at once. I'm sure everybody's like writing notes right now, like what the fuck? Slow down. So, John, you um, I think you mentioned earlier you've got is it two children? Did you say? So my girlfriend actually has three children, and you know we we're taking that responsibility together. Okay, I was just going to ask, um, do you take a um this approach to when you're parenting parenting is easy <laughs> i just talk to them like they're real people that's all they need they just need to be heard that's all kids need most kids are just looking to push the boundaries of what they've learned and have you either confirm for them or not necessarily correct but show them a different way like a little kid little kids in that explorative phase and they go and they want to touch the stove or something well you've got two choices you can be like no stop and totally make a scene out of it or you can actually get there and grab that child and show them this is what it does when you turn this you get gas you know when you press this but lights the stove and then you tell them but it's hot you turn on the stove and you just put their hand a little distance away and you say, see, you feel that? And then Wilkin goes, yeah. And they understand, I will get burned if I do that on my own. I can't do that. So kids are just trying to figure out what stuff does. When we scream and shout, and shout at them and uh, diminish their curiosity, we are programming them with fear and I am not good enoughness and it's not safe to do this. And so it's hard for them to create things in the world, right? So I just, you know, I don't really feel like I have to do anything. With the younger ones, she's going to turn eight. Her birthday is actually a day before mine, August 26th. I'm the 27th. So, you know, we have a little special bond there. But she's been kept out of school. The other two, well, they were, they were, allowed to go to school because they wanted to they were asked do you want to go to school and they were like yeah and it's completely changed their personality it's completely changed the way that they relate to the world they are more like not to be mean or anything but they're more like press enter people when it comes to what they think and what they believe because they've been onboarded with so much information so i talk to them differently but i also don't yield to society's beliefs and they kind of get that like and, and their mom she's a fucking badass she is just like me she knows most of the stuff that i talk about and she's figured it out on her own right so we're the perfect match we're most people's nightmare that actually do people together that think the same way you know so you just you just kind of have to let kids learn on their own that's all they're wanting to do they don't want to be beat into submission but that's the way society is done you know if you want strong kids well just listen i mostly just listen and if they say something that's wrong i will never tell them well you're wrong because i don't want to instill in them the idea that somebody has to be right and somebody has to be wrong i want to keep them in the mindset that everyone's always learning all the time and that everything that you hear isn't true everything that you think isn't true and you have to come to your own conclusions on your own test this shit again against reality don't be afraid to do that you know 
Yeah, it's massively important because what I think today, what I think is right today, I could learn something tomorrow and it was completely disproved what I've completely what I think right different. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. But it's absolutely. just an ongoing, ongoing journey. It'll, it'll never end. Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's, the, that's the joy of life, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I mean, I wanted to follow up with the programming thing. I actually wanted to talk about the programs that are most common. It's I don't feel safe somehow. And that's a big general topic, but it can be the reason why people don't want to branch out and do anything. And like I was just saying before, if kids get their curiosity diminished when they're growing and they get thrown into schools, you know, mini prison camps, then they're outside of their creativity. They're not figuring things out on their own. What I found with younger kids is that as long as they're allowed to draw and run around and play and do shit in the garden and they stay away from the TV, intuitively, they pick up on all kinds of ideas and information and, and they'll say things that you don't even know where that came from. And you ask them, how do you know? And they're like, I just know, right? So you want to keep them away from stuff that's going to program them into adults that then have programs that are dependent on misery. They continue to create misery. People like you asked, uh, I think it was Cam, you asked me why it is people have difficulty seeing that things are the way that they are. It's because they have a program that says it's safe to see the truth. No. So when you tell them that X, Y, Z is the case, they're constantly hearing a no on the end of that. Like, that's not true. No, that's not true. If you try to change anything on your own, it's not just cognitive dissonance. It's whatever statement is the programming that's responsible for that. It kicks in and it says no. And it's just like watching lemmings walking off of a cliff, essentially. If a person wants to create more wealth in their life, which we all want, they need to have a program that says, I understand what it feels like to be rich. But having that program without getting rid of the anger and the fear and the regret and the safety and the issues around being enough and deserving, you don't get rid of those things. I understand what it feels like to be rich can make a program spend all their money, make them, sorry, make a person that's programmed with that spend all their money carelessly, right? Because what's the dominant programming in society? We see celebrities just wasting money on things, right? So it's, it's crazy because there's a lot of people out there that have that, sorry, need to have a program that says, I know what it feels like to live without compulsive misery, fear, anger, frustration, and conflict. A lot of people are motivated by conflict, and that's why they create. A lot of people have a program that literally says, I am motivated by conflict. Yes. That's why they create problems in their relationships, in their family members, at work, conflict within themselves. That's why they'll go out on the weekend and they'll eat a whole pizza. And then they'll be like, oh, I need to go to the gym and work this off because they're motivated by the inner conflict that they have. But these things aren't specific. It could be a multitude of different reactions to these things, right? A lot of people have a program that says it's selfish to be happy. It's wrong to be happy. 
Um, a lot of people sabotage their relationships because they don't know that it's safe to be loved. They don't know. They actually don't know that it's okay to be loved. If I am happy, something bad will happen. If I get close to someone, they'll hurt me. Right. So, I'll stop right there with that. You can ask more questions. Uh, yeah. Well, it's been so insightful. This um, one thing I wanted to go back to when you were just talking about children and and the way children are brought up. What I, I saw a video not too long ago, and it was um, talking about where children, the parents sort of buy children loads of loads of toys, so the parents don't have to put up with teaching a child what's what they can give them a toy and let them play in the corner of the room for a couple of hours whilst they binge watch TV. Um, and to me, that seems like teaching the kids that early stages of escapism. When they're <laughs> two years old, you're giving them a toy saying, go and play in the corner. I've got something important to do, which is sit in front of a TV. Yeah, here, little Johnny, go suck eggs. <laughs> um, I mean... That's exactly what it is. Every time you dismiss a child, you don't listen to what they're saying. Even if it sounds stupid or trivial to you or whatever, you're just teaching them that you're not safe to be around. And a lot of that is where the real childhood issues come into play because um, I think that's where you get into the theory of attachment styles and stuff like that. Kids want to know that the parent is there and paying attention to them. And then they learn that when they get older and they kind of want to recreate that relationship with their uh, lover or whoever. And it can be very stressful because that person often isn't prepared to fill those gaps of mommy or daddy for them, give them attention in that way. Because relationships need to be each person giving 100%. It's not 50-50. Each person brings 100% to the table. And if you're looking for someone else to complete you and you're not at 100%, that person just doesn't have it to give you. So attachment styles, then you're either ambivalent, which means you're not really interested anymore because, you know, your parents have fucked you off so many times that now you just kind of want to keep to yourself or you have that uh, avoidant attachment style where you just kind of want to avoid conflict and stay away and i could get into more stuff like that but honestly fuck that like people just need to be present bottom line be present if you're present with your children you will get that back when you're older your kids will be present with you they won't stick you in a fucking nursing home or whatever like all of that as well has contributed to the breakdown of the family system and that's what Know, the powers that shouldn't be want they want to break down the family system as much as they can and keep us in dysfunction conflict unable to resolve our issues within ourselves and with each other you mentioned earlier about evil forces as well do you think good will uh, will be evil if i think that good will be evil what do you mean will beat it do you think good will win if it good will win Good gets little wins all the time, but we don't see it because we're watching TV. Yeah. Good wins in the lives of those who focus on good. 
the other people who are always looking at how evil the world is, like conspiracy theorists, and that, don't get me wrong, I love them because they're they have more courage than those that um choose to stay with blinders on and just watch what the TV tells them. But you're still focusing on nothing but the negative. You have to look at negative things with a mind to solve the problem. How am I going to change something about myself that solves that problem? You don't have to actively solve the problem, but how can inside of me, can I be different so that by my actions, I don't create any more of that? Right? That's how good is going to win over evil. And right now, evil kind of has the upper hand. Evil is always anti-life. The very word is live backwards, right? We've heard that a million times. Yeah, it does certainly feel like evil's winning, definitely, um, when you look at the Western world and how many people are just... Well, you've just painted the picture perfectly in my mind that everyone is just attracted to pure evil. If you look at the... Me and Aaron talked about this months ago on the podcast. We brought up the seven deadly sins and we were just basically just discussing each one and how tech we were just saying how technology has impacted each of the seven deadly sins but it was so surprising that on a daily basis people are living these seven deadly sins and i'm not saying it in in a sort of like a god way where or, or it comes from the bible in any bible sort of way i'm just saying it in these are shit things that people are doing and everyone does it on a day-to-day -day basis it's ingrained into their life and it's just exactly what you've been talking about today. So, um. Yeah, you know, that's the thing. The seven deadly sins, they exist for a reason. Things like that and the commandments are present throughout every religious text, you know, whether it's the Bhagavad Gita or the Vedas or the Bible. But we all know that the Bible was taken from the uh, the tablets, you know, so the Sumerian tablets and stuff, and then it was edited by men to be used as a control mechanism. And there's still good information in there, don't get me wrong, I wouldn't want to offend anybody that's Christian or whatever, anything like that, even though, you know, you take offense to it, that's your interpretation. <laughs> uh, you need to look at yourself. But there's information that's in there, like, why is it that negative entities don't like Psalm 23 or Psalm 91? There must be something to that, right? So there is information within that text that can be used to positively influence you. But again, people will read the Bible. They will watch the news, watch TV, listen to music, and overall just follow whoever they follow on social media because they subconsciously agree with what they're taking in and they emotionally identify with that content. If you emotionally identify with the seven sins, you got problems, man. You got <laughs> you to start taking a, a critical look at your life and, and wonder why. Um, because that's not doing any good for you or your family, even if you think it is. It's just creating more chaos. And I wanted to add to what you were saying there about good versus evil. When people act in a way that they see a problem and they change something in themselves that will solve that problem on a, a particular level, that's when good gets the upper hand. But when you see it and you don't do anything, that's when evil wins it's like you see somebody getting mugged on the side of the street and you don't stop it what happens you had every opportunity to to thwart that attempt you know but you didn't why didn't you do it 
because you were worried about yourself, some fear about you getting hurt, your world being changed somehow. But the only world that exists is your world. Whatever you create is what cre is created on the outside as well and to a certain extent, certain degree. So whatever is within your immediate circle is probably what's happening on the outside in a magnified level. We need to be responsible and take control over that. Yeah. Well, when I first, well, when we first started the channel um, on this journey, we focused a lot on sort of the theories and politics and everything that's going on in the world. And at the time I saw so, so much darkness, but that's what sort of awakened me into trying to make myself a better person because of that, because that's the main thing. What's in my control is me. So I try to make myself a better person to hopefully have a better Im impact on the world. And the more people that did that, then the world becomes a better place, right? Is that, that's. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, right now, podcasts are the biggest problem for the powers that shouldn't be because they try to dominate people by making sure that they take advantage of the rules. Now, here's the rules. Number one, first rule of fucking people up completely is knowing that people respond to their sensory perceptions. If you limit a person's sensory perception, they are going to make assumptions and conclusions based only on that information. So that's how cults work to recruit members and stuff like that. And at that level, people are controlled by their experience. And often that experience is dictated by the ways that they're persuaded into the situation with a certain level of speed, of force and intensity. And they have no choice but to agree with the conclusions of that experience. And um, at that level, people's perceptions are going to be managed very closely. And we see that in the media. We see that in sales. We see it in religion. We see it in spirituality. We see it in cults, politics, law enforcement. We see it in gender ideologies, and we even see that in conspiracy theories, right? So if podcasters are out there adding more to those discussions, that's a positive thing. The other rule to controlling people is um, if you can control the meanings that they assign to those sensory perceptions. The brain is a meaning-making machine. So here's a good example. If everybody's sneezing, somebody yells, oh, they got a deadly virus. A lot of people are going to run in the opposite direction, right? And that's literally just happened. So how, how would you know that those people have a deadly virus? What if they just have seasonal allergies and like there's pollen blowing across from a field somewhere? But people's meanings will fill the gaps. And if you don't know the meanings that you have assigned to things, you will accept any meaning that's given to you at the time because... <laughs> Basically, control of perception is what these people do. Um, prior programming kicks in. Um, you can control people's perceptions by labeling anything as good or bad, labeling it as demonic or godly, or saying that something's useless, helpful, safe, and effective, anything like that, right? So we need people that are poking and prodding at those common 
things because they're going to say that everything is safe and effective. And the more times people like us get out there and have conversations and, you know, some of us podcasters, we only get like a thousand listens or something on one episode, but that's a thousand people, even if they listen for 10 minutes that we got in their head. And one of my favorite, most accurate personal development sayings is that once a mind has been stretched by an idea, it never goes back to the original size, right? So even if you get five, 10 minutes with that person, they hear something that's different from what they currently believe, you win, right? That's going to change them forever because the rule number three of um, perception management is to use a person's pre-existing beliefs, ideas, assumptions, and experiences to fill the gaps. And what they'll do on the news um, or on like YouTube channels and stuff that are pro an idea like abortion or gender ideologies and things like that, or especially on reels and stuff is that they'll exclude information on purpose to use the contents of, of a person's mind to fill the gaps. And it's mainly their fears and their doubts about themselves, expectations of how the world should be and their prejudice, prejudices. And um, that level has become easier to manipulate because of the screens deactivating the prefrontal cortex because now you've bypassed that um, critical thinking faculty and it's just direct input. So you can get them to act on it later. But it'll go around in their head, it'll change, and whatever existing meanings they have or whatever, they'll kind of put their own versions of the meaning in there. And that's why we get so many different variations of crazy out there, because there's a lot of people that are using language patterns as well, a lot of like dark um, NLP tactics and stuff on the news. Like Donald Trump was trained by um, Norman Vincent Peale. In the 70s, Norman Vincent Peale was the top guy for NLP and hypnotherapy. That's why Donald Trump gets such a cult-like following from people because he knows how to program people with ideas. He knows how to use hand signals, all that stuff. Right? Anderson Cooper knows how to use all those things. Most of the guys on mainstream TV, even Tucker Carlson to a certain extent, I've seen him employing those psychological techniques i think that that's something that the higher level people are um required to know because they want you to carry on a narrative and ma the majority of that stuff is about distraction and um they have to be careful because what they realize is that the fourth rule is that there's always a chance that whatever you do, whatever techniques you employ, always have a danger of backfiring and you'll make an enemy. That's why in over the past few years, they've done such a disservice against conspiracy theorists because now that way of thinking is backfiring against them. They created the term conspiracy theorists to control perceptions. And that's where we get a lot of flat earthers and um doomsday preppers and things like that people think the world are going to end um that was created on purpose to take any questioning of the truth and flip it on its head so people automatically lose trust for the government and now they don't trust anything and they'll easily think the earth is flat or whatever and um 
Oh, it's going to piss off a lot of people that are <laughs> probably flat earth Dave or whoever. Ah, fucker. Um, so, you know, it's, it becomes self-sustaining in terms of a, a construct in your mind. Anything you try to throw against it, it will be hard to get any new information in there. And those beliefs will cause a person to go to war with anybody because they're just concerned with maintaining those concepts that they believe that they hold close to their heart within themselves. And they're held captive by their own fears, their own habits, their own obsessions. And the person is actually anchored to the emotions that they have around believing what they believe and the experience of life that they get from those beliefs. That's why like flat earthers will argue with you. And that's why uh, mega Trumpers will argue with you. And that's why religious people will argue with you. you know, like there's levels to cognitive dissonance. And there's also something called the Semmelweis effect where it's more or less you, you bury your head in the sand when beliefs are confronted rather than go at somebody. So there's different things that go into that, you know, and powers that shouldn't be, those are their rules for perception management, essentially. I probably left out a couple of things, but I can't think of it right now. So going off the um, sort of theory that you've got that everything, these sort of things will backfire um, eventually. Some things yeah, are they already will. starting to backfire. How do you see this DEI movement um, backfiring? Because surely that's got to come to an end soon. Oh, I see the what? You know, the DEI movement, the diversity movement. And... That is... um, Words like diversity and inclusion are a part of the mind control. It's hypnotic language patterns. So... Um, let me just explain that the best as I can. There are different parts of your mind that know when something brings you joy and when it brings you guilt, shame, anger, and some other form of pain. Um, in mind control, there are different parts of the mind that are manipulated using something called parts and loops. A part is exactly what it sounds like. It's a fraction of a program that you already have, like where I was talking about meanings that we automatically assign based on our unique experience, using that against you, using that part against you. In, in psychology, we have parts therapy, hypnotherapy, I should say. We have parts therapy where we go into a person's subconscious and we assess the different parts that create a program. So let me say here that... In a subconscious program, it's like a box of cereal. Every individual piece of Captain Crunch is a part. It's an idea or a small subcompartment that leads back to that original heading of the program. So I am enough for the government loves me. You have all these different ideas. And so what happens when you pour out that box of cereal is that you eventually run out of cereal, you throw away the box, and that program has been defeated, right? So that's relevant because now we have loops. Um, loop is exactly what it sounds like. When there's an idea, we constantly look for confirmation of that. So we live inside of a self-fulfilling prophecy. In our regular everyday life, we'll mess up 
a relationship with someone just so that we can confirm a belief like, see, I told you I'm not lovable. We do the same thing with the government and mind control of any other form. So diversity and inclusion is just the same thing. It's something that's created to keep that part of your mind looping over because it's constantly showing you an observation that appears to be true within that constructed reality of the matrix. And all these different parts have these functions that tie in with the person's identity. So the, like I said before, powers that shouldn't be, um, they're all skilled mind controllers. And they know how to create two or more different parts that continue to loop over each other. And uh, now I'm just attacking. <laughs> now I'm just fucking with the whole woke narrative because I'm breaking down how it actually works. I'm not getting into arguments about this person's wrong or this person's right. I'm telling you how this works um, because I've seen it. I've poked around in my own mind at the very least enough to see how things were constructed. And I see it in other people with my clients and stuff all the time. I see how one belief about being diverse and inclusive of people is creating joy and pleasure in a part of your mind, but it's looping back on itself. Every time it recognizes fear, which is the secondary component that's created on purpose. There's always a good part that's created and always a bad part that's created because the fearful part keeps the good part in check. It keeps it looping back on itself. And in both cases, whether it's joyful or fearful, the mind is going to try to abandon those thoughts when you question it. And how that works is you remember pain more than you remember joy. So what's most people's pain point? Can you guess for not wanting to let it go? Can you guess what the most people's pain point is? Is it something along the lines of embarrassment or? Embarrassment, shame. They don't want to be isolated from the cult. They don't want to be isolated from their group. Left out. Right, yeah. Right? That is, that's why like a fear of public speaking is one of the biggest deep ingrained fears that we have. They don't want to be embarrassed by speaking in front of everyone. It's not okay to stand up for yourself. So the mind wants to avoid that just as much as it, it actually wants to question certain things, but it can't because it's going to continue to loop back on itself all the time. What if I speak out and I get isolated from the herd? Subconscious is going to loop over and over and it's going to create amnesia towards the things that are different from the idea of, of diversity and inclusion, right? And there's also a dormant part of us that has compassion for everyone by default, that we see it as being discompassionate by not including people for being humans, nature, right? even though we know it's wrong. And, and so unless we are morally strong, we're not going to say no. So when a thought about something like that surfaces, whether it's good or bad, then that confused counterpart will come up at the same time. And that awakens up, sorry, that it kind of jolts to aliveness, like a, a defibrillator to your ego, essentially, the part that wants to protect it. And that's what activates the fear and the terror. So that's why the people walking around saying these things are so convinced. If you watch like Matt Walsh interviewing 
the pro transgender psychologist lady, she got so angry. He didn't even say anything, right? Because that part that activated fear and terror, that egotistical part, got jolted. Volts of electricity are being sent through the brain, and it's very uncomfortable. So. Thoughts can be implanted in you using various language patterns like diversity and inclusion and safe and effective and all those different things um, from various sources. And it is your own mind that keeps you imprisoned by these linguistic patterns that are associated with them. So a mind controller only has to give you suggestions and your mind is automatically going to create the internal environment around those suggestions your entire thinking pattern and your behavioral patterns are hijacked by default. And how they're doing that as well is they're using presuppositions to tell you what the outcome of something is going to be. We saw that with George Floyd and the Black Lives Matter thing, and then it, nothing happened. They took that away. We saw that with the vaccine thing. Sorry if you get a strike for that. But they took that away. Uh, we saw that with the, we're seeing that right now with the diverse and inclusive thing where a lot of that's being revealed as to, you know, a, a Ponzi scheme that people are buying into. But they're just using language and beliefs against people. And, um, you know, it's this presupposition that keeps people locked into their expectations and, um, I guess we are mostly disappointed by our expectations of things. Um, in sales, if you've ever been sold something that you didn't really want to buy, you notice that there was repeating language that stood out to you. But most of the language that's used that's actually hypnotic is everyday language. Um, things like embedded commands and stuff were initially initially um, kept for use by skilled psychologists and stuff but now it's used everywhere it's everywhere on TV it's everywhere on the radio it's all over politics and everything and all of these people are usually trained to be skilled orators and um, they use things like I think they're called weasel phrases that um, are just added to regular everyday sentences and they humor people. They'll say things like, you know better than anybody or, you know, you'll be curious as you notice. And um, hypnotic language usually is suggestive in that way where it tells you what the outcome is going to be. Like I said before, it will tell you, you will be, and this thing is going to happen. And that's often on the news like if you listen to the fluff pieces and stuff on the news the news anchors just reading it but they'll be like oh you will be surprised that uh, thousands of americans are flocking to florida this summer because you program me with these ideas right so um i'm trying to remember all this stuff i'm trying to get it into easily digestible <laughs> thing because it's a lot um but that's how covert suggestion works it's not a complex process and I have a book somewhere around here. I, somewhere in the background near my keyboard, it's What is Hypnosis by Drake Eastburn. He is a, a member of 
the National Hypnosis Guild in America or something like that. And in that book, he breaks down what isn't hypnosis. Everything is hypnosis. We're always in a, a hypnotic trance. And um, the best way to explain that is we have to transition into a alpha brainwave state for the subconscious mind to process 100 trillion bits of information daily. Otherwise, otherwise we'd be walking around like this, having a, a bunch of mini strokes all the time because it's so much input. The conscious mind can only do 140 bits of information. The subconscious mind is doing 100 trillion, right? right? It used to be 10 trillion. I just found out recently it's 100 trillion, right? And that's that's just what they can tell the brain is doing. They don't know. They can't measure what else the subconscious is doing. What's the reason for the increase? Because they've been able to people on brain scans and stuff and see how they react to certain things like stimuli and stuff and they've been doing this for a very long time right so my point there actually is that all the stuff that we can't see on brain scans we don't we don't know the direct correlation between that so the brain has to transition into these states of hypnosis every day we do it naturally when we're driving actually you don't ever want somebody to be driving in their conscious mind it's like not to to diss the women or anything, but women tend to hesitate a lot. They're more hesitant than men has been found to drive. And that's because they're in their conscious mind. They're trying to get it right. Right? And when you're trying to get it right, you're gonna make more mistakes. Yeah. Right? Is, so is there a difference um between the sexes on who spends more time in a conscious state than no. no. No, it's we have gross anatomy. It's a, a man's brain is different in size to a woman's brain, and certain executive functions are performed differently. But the subconscious mind is all the same because it's all just energy that's operating within that morphogenetic field, which is just information about everything that we kind of have at our disposal, like the Terminator, a scanning device. That's what the subconscious mind is in that instance. So it's picking up the same information. So um, just sort of indirectly bringing you back to the DEI, uh, the diversity side of things. Um, I don't. We don't need to talk any more on that. But one thing which is about to me is they use the rainbow flag and they've got vivid colours everywhere. What does colour like play a part in mind control? Yeah, it's just going to anchor certain ideas into you. I mean, what's more beautiful than a rainbow? Everybody loves a rainbow when the rain falls. Everybody goes, whoa, that's so cool, right? And that's why you see a lot of that programming in children's toys and cartoons. And it's synonymous. It's been synonymous with unicorns from time in memoriam. So if you look at the languages that's used in um things like that, like when certain gay men call themselves unicorns and things like that. It's been going on for a long, long time. The issue with that is that kids love colorful things. That's why cereal boxes are so colorful, right? Or candy, Skittles, for Christ's sake. Like they want to market garbage to young kids and, um, if there's something very safe about a rainbow that just allows you to both 
create a feeling of safety and confusion at the same time. And when you confuse someone, you can put any new information in there that will get them to act against their true nature, I guess. Yeah, when you start looking at the way everything's set up, it is, um, you can understand the thought process behind everything, and it all does lead to mind control. But it seems like they've got to a point, maybe it's because of the technology, you know, you know as you were saying, because of the brain scans and stuff, that they've managed to crack even more of the code of mind control. And now that's why we feel like everyone's at a point of like, no return, basically. Everyone's just submerged into it so deep deeply woven in it's because they're finding out more information on how they can better their mind control so they're actually advancing that technology and we are subject of that we are the ones who are that's the main reason why i'm here right now teaching rather than trying to be a guru and sell therapy or coaching i have no interest whatsoever in any of that i don't give a shit if i make another dollar what i care about is that people have the information that has been hidden from them for centuries enough is enough at a point in my personal healing i had to sit down and say to myself honestly when is enough going to be enough for me what am I going to allow to dictate the way that I make my decisions? What is that going to look like? What is that going to feel like? Is it going to be based on sensory pleasures, gratification? Is it going to be based on who I think I am in the world? This concept of I am a this thing, I am a musician, I am a therapist, I am a whatever. I couldn't care less about any of that because none of that is me. I am not even my name. I'm just a bunch of energy inside this meat suit that will move on. But the impact that I make based on my personal actions and what I allow is what's going to make the biggest difference because what you allow is what continues. That's the problem with people. We allow shit to happen. We allow our own enslavement. We allow people to get hurt. We sit around and we get in involved in brain candy, conspiracy theories, and all these ideas, and we don't break them down and try to do things in different ways that people can then make a change. We don't make it our personal culture. Most people's personal culture is work from nine to five, TV late at night, drink on the weekends, repeat, right? Fuck that. That is not what humans are meant to do right? We come here, we have children, and the purpose of that is to make smarter kids. But if you don't have kids, be a man and be responsible for somebody else's children. I believe that that's one of the greatest things that any man can do, to be a, a, a responsible man for some other child, because there's a lot of kids out there that don't have dads. They don't have strong male figures. I have to look at myself and be like, what do I really want to get out of this life? Because I can't take money with me to the grave. I can't even, you know, I'm, I'm, I could spend a lot of money if I wanted to. But all that's going to do is create a cycle where I have to again, then go and make more money to maintain that lifestyle. And I decided that I wanted to 
become a minimalist. I don't have a lot of stuff um, that allows me to keep more money in my pocket because <laughs> I don't have a lot of stuff to maintain. But I, what I found is that the things that I can do with the information I have is much more powerful than anything I could do with a few dollars in my pocket. There's no safety in that. There's no real comfort in that. There's no real gratification in that. But I know that a lot of people are going to listen to this and they might watch your um, YouTube shorts or something and they might get something out of it. And like I said, a mind that has been exposed to new information will never go back to its original size. So that's how we win this. And I'm not even trying to win it either. I just know how the game works enough to know that what I do every single moment of the day matters more than anything else. Yeah, I suppose the way you're looking at it is great because um, you get what I see is you get a lot of people that hoard, they hoard stuff, they hoard money, they hoard information. And one thing that I guess people similar to us are good at is gaining information and passing that information on. We've gained information from you today. We're going to go on a podcast tomorrow or next week or next month. And some of the information that we've got today will be relevant in that conversation and we'll pass that on. A lot of people seem to get information and hoard it and it gives them, I don't know if it feeds their ego or it gives them a, a sense of satisfaction that they know something that other people don't know. Uh, that's not really helping anyone and that's not going to progress anything in any positive manner. Yeah, it's a... <clears throat> It's a tough position to be in because what I found as well is that people tend to run away from me. Like they, they're like, "Oh, you're such a cool guy," but then once I start to talk, they're like, "You know too much stuff. You know too much." I, you know, I gotta, and they like, do the Homer Simpson in the bush thing. Like, oh. yeah. <laughs> like they have to get away because they don't want to hear any of that. It's just become a shell shock. But unfortunately, that's not my problem. A long time ago, when I was doing my first coaching clients and stuff, I kept running to, into this problem where it wasn't really taking. And I asked a mentor of mine, he was just an older guy, he wasn't really like a psychologist or anything, I asked him, what do you think could actually be happening there? Because I noticed that when I talk to certain people about certain things, it's like they don't actually want to change anything. And he was like, you know, you're right. Most people don't want to change. They just want to, find new ways of staying the same and if you want to make a big impact you have to talk directly to the jahans of this world the people who are most like you that are going through the same experiences that you've had that you can actually reference and get in their head because otherwise you're just going to scare a lot of people that aren't ready to deal with the reality Have you found a way to crack those people yet? Essentially, right? My process is I don't need to know anything about you. I just want to know what my clients are feeling so that I can diagnose the programs that they have. We discuss those programs. We do some simple processes to find out if those really are what they're holding. Um, and we change that. 
I don't try to coach anybody. I don't try to tell them what to do. Uh, there are things that they know they should do. I give them homework. I let them do that. And I was telling my girlfriend this a couple of weeks ago that if I'm being honest, out of every hundred people that I see, 94 of them don't make it. They don't make it to week 12 because I usually have like a 12 week thing that I do where it's like the first week we're working on values. The second week we're bringing things to the table that conflict with our values and the ways that we actually view the world. The third week we're working on disempowering habits and, you know, taking things out of our nutrition and things like that. In the next two or three weeks after that, we're just putting things into place. I have a workbook that we use. I ask them questions about how they're getting through with things, any challenges that they have, things they don't understand. We clarify, but I'm working on getting them to change their actions, to do things that are different, to notice what they're noticing, to notice how the subconscious programs that we're trying to change are bringing up certain thoughts and stuff still so that they can avoid those things because what happens is when you change something in subconscious all those little serial pieces are falling out of that box and the mind is asking you is it okay to keep this and your job is to be be vigilant and say no and a lot of people for them that is too uncomfortable to continuously do that their resolve their willpower it's been diminished by the death rectangles so they don't know how to um to tap in and decide to just say no to a lot of things, they'll go back to certain habits over and over again. And so a lot of that is about being accountable, making sure they're taking in content that will question their current beliefs. It's a lot of work. If you want to win this game, you have to guard your consciousness. So like we were saying with the attack on men, the men don't make it. The men, the women stick around, but the men don't make it. I had a a male client within the past few months. He sent me a message and he's like, I don't want to do coaching anymore because when I leave the session, I feel worse than when I started. And I said, why is it that you feel worse when essentially the session is all about you telling me what's going on inside your head? You're telling me that you're uncomfortable with your inner world and you don't want to deal with that. So you don't want to do coaching anymore. You just want to run away. And that goes back to the attack on men. The hidden agenda to feminize and weaken all men. It's like the fucking tooth fairy programming. You got a rock running around in a fucking tutu, waving a magic wand. I mean, that's how a lot of men act. Like they act like Mrs. Doubtfire. <laughs> they act like Brokeback Mountain. <laughs> and they don't want to step into their true power. They're they're being Homer Simpson. They're being Peter Griffin. They're being fucking Seinfeld or whoever, you know? Like, they don't want to level up. The women are tough. The women hang in there a lot longer. But what happens with the women, what I've noticed especially, is that the women will have a desire to be in a long-term relationship with a man that supports them. And they can't find a man that supports them. They don't want to hear that they don't yet have the information that they need. They haven't completed the course of coaching. 
to get to that point where they can make rational decisions because women are emotional thinkers by nature, men are more rational. And the emotion overrides and their longing and their discontent with where they're at overrides and they jump headfirst into a toxic relationship that subconsciously confirms what they believe about themselves and what they deserve in a relationship. And so they come running back to me and they're like, oh, this thing didn't work. I said to you, you fool, don't do that yet. We got to work on that first. And they're like, I don't know why I did it. And I said, are you listening to anything that I've been telling you about how the subconscious mind works? <laughs> so a lot of people just are very resistant to that. And I have that conversation a lot. And it becomes this, once a relationship becomes, like there's a push and pull. And I notice that the person is, wanting to not listen like they want to stay the same more than they want to change i have to get rid of them i i'm notorious for firing clients like i had to fire one recently um she was having a lot of personal issues i don't want to say what they are on air um a lot of weird sex stuff and can't sleep at night and um toxic relationships and she just kept watching TV. And I kept telling her, every time we work on something and you watch the shows that you like to watch, you're reinstalling and reconfirming old patterns of behavior. And that went on for weeks and weeks. And I was like, sweetheart, you're fired. You're, I, I can't do anything with you until you change your attitude and change, until you up-level your willingness to be different and understand that there's nothing wrong with watching stuff. Just don't watch the stuff that's going to put the same programs that you're working on back in your head. Watch a, a documentary. I'll give you the $11 to get a subscription from Gaia TV if that'll fucking change your life. <laughs> watch something that develops your spiritual self. If you can't get past that desire to be programmed by a screen, at least make it work for you in a positive way and a lot of people can't do that like they become like crack addicts they're rocking back and forth they're scratching themselves they're like i gotta watch something i gotta go on youtube i gotta go on tiktok they have to get their cheap thrills they're addicted to the cheap thrills that's the hardest part of coaching a lot of people that i try i have tried in the past to mentor or coach or do any therapeutic counseling with that still have what we consider normal everyday habits that are accepted by society, drinking alcohol, um, you know, eating donuts, whatever, sugar. Those people, they don't make it. Because of everything that I told you closer to the beginning, their limbic system is fired off and they're making poor choices all the time. They can't stick with workout programs. You'll, you know, you'll see them posting on their social media that they went to the fucking Dairy Queen or something. They had an ice cream when they know that they had a goal to lose 20 pounds. They get up and eat two peanut butter sandwiches at two in the morning. You know, they, and they're like, I can't figure out why I'm losing weight. And you ask them, okay, so what have you been doing that you aren't losing weight? Because if you're in a calorie deficit and you're exercising, you're going to lose weight. So there's something that you're doing and you can tell like they, they start to shift around in their chair and 
you're like um well you know i uh, i might have done this thing it was like you might have or you did it <laughs> you you fucking did it you little asshole yeah you did it <laughs> and so 45% of all life actions are habits all habits start as things that you decided to do and now that you can do them without thinking it never stops habits eliminate the need for self control i'll say that twice Habits eliminate the need for self-control. That's why people self-sabotage. A behavior becomes a habit when it no longer requires a decision from you. But our superpower is choice. That's why our choices are being taken away by diversity and inclusion. <laughs> that's the thing. You say that's our superpower, but realistically, that's all we've got anyway is a choice. It's all that's all got. you've got choices. to make a choice. Mm-hmm. And personal responsibility comes in levels. Today, you take responsibility for the things that you can take responsibility for. Tomorrow, you take responsibility for those things as well as another thing. And the list goes on and on and on and on. But like I said, it's stress that does it to people. Negative reinforcement does not stop bad habits. That's why people will lose everything for a habit. That's why you have heroin addicts, fentanyl, crack, cocaine, all those things. Because the way that they feel afterwards and how it affects their loved ones and all that and their role in society, how they're looked at, is not enough to stop using drugs or drinking. It's not enough. So the human condition is just we're, we're really in a bad way right now. Things were actually easier when there was less technology. With um, the, the differences that you can see between men and women, do you see that men are less likely to um, continue with counseling, or not counseling, sorry, coaching, because they're sort of afraid of leaving the safe space that they've made for themselves, that space, that safe space being working nine to five, drinking alcohol for their escapism. And that same time yeah. goes on. Yeah, because all the stuff that's fun is bad for us. And that's what's sold to us, you know? Like, we see the ideas that are sold to us as uh, how to be a man. There's a movie with Jude Law called Alfie where he's like a, a pimp and he totally ruins, he falls in love n- near the middle of the movie with this woman. He completely ruins the relationship because he doesn't know how to stop being a player, right? And um. He even sleeps with his best friend's uh, girlfriend and she gets pregnant. So men are being programmed with all these ideas of uh, how we should be. They don't continue with the counseling because, you know, when you see a counselor on TV, it's an old dude with glasses and a dicky bow tie. And how does that make you feel? And men, by nature, in their DNA, they shun that. Like How I feel doesn't matter because men are irrational thinkers. But men are afraid of what happens when they bridge the rational mind with the emotional mind. In the middle of that is wisdom. They're afraid of that, right? That's why we have people that. <laughs> that's why we have a lot of people that have OnlyFans and they have like degrees in philosophy and shit like that. It's like clearly, the degree in itself wasn't enough to uplevel your faculty for critical thinking. You will sell your body because of what you think about yourself and what you think about money and your position in the world people will leave 
counseling for the same reasons because of what they think their role should be rather than having the patience to take the time to carve away at themselves for two hours a week or a month or every couple of months even rather than take the information that they get in a therapeutic session and apply it radically in every area of their life they will gravitate towards the familiar towards societal conditioning what's acceptable and they will completely self-sabotage self-sabotage is one of the hardest um things to be in i have no idea why i chose it as a profession <laughs> i have no idea why i like it so much but every once in a while you get a, a handful of people that are really good about it and how they learn is they're actually let me say this differently they learn because the thing that keeps a person locked into a pattern is that you can give them the best help, the best information they can apply it. But if their environment is toxic, sick, destructive in any way, they're going right back to their familiar patterns of behavior automatically without a thought. Everything in their environment enables bad behavior. So the ones that learn are the ones that have relatively good and supportive environments. They have kids that support them, have brothers and sisters, moms, dads that support them. Someone in their immediate circle is going to look at them and be like, whatever it is you're doing, it's working for you. And they go, yeah, 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 yeah. Their tail starts wagging. Like, yeah, yeah, I got a treat. I'm a good boy. And those are the ones that follow through the most. But those are few and far between. And I would love for it to be different, man. I would really love for it to be different. I don't let it destroy my resolve for it to be different. Been doing it for ten years. I continue. I continue to try, and I am gonna want to do it for another ten years. Mm. Um, do you think there's also in that? Um, well, people have them toxic environments around them. That's not helpful. But some people need to lift themselves up and take themselves out of that toxic um, situation. But a lot of people aren't notice that it's a toxic situation because. That led to believe this is it's hard for them to admit yeah yeah it's real hard for them to admit and it's hard for them to let go and and realize that some people in their lives are not good for them some situations are not good for them sometimes the best thing is a change in perspective completely get yourself out of your element and um move away if you have to leave all your friends and family behind i did that because i knew that was necessary and i I was given the opportunity anyway. So I didn't see that much growth being a part of my reality at all. But I was already away from all the familiar things. And I, I was forced to be in a position where I was questioning my old self and creating a new self to try to fit into society. And it caught me right at the best time because I was open and receptive to change at the highest level, right? So should we wrap this one up here? Yeah, that was really insightful, Jen. Really insightful. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Uh, thank you for having me on. <laughs> yeah, well, it's been amazing. I'm about beyond gobsmacked with this. Uh... <laughs> I've been checking out some of the other podcasts you've been on and then obviously your own as well. Um, so me and Aaron both thought this is going to be a really good one, but it's even blown them expectations out. Yeah, I liked this podcast a lot because I had the opportunity to talk about other things that I don't normally 
talk about. There's a lot of uh, repetitive things that I say all the time. Right. I guess that's the beauty because me and Aaron never really prep. Like we'll jump on 15 minutes earlier and just talk about the guests that we're getting on, but we won't prep any questions or any like flow to it. It's all just whatever we feel the right direction it will seem to be taken that way. Yeah, I don't do that on boundless authenticity either. I don't really try to inject any of my own ideas or beliefs on it. I just want that person to feel comfortable. Like we're having a, a conversation over a, a drink or a lunch or something, and they're telling me whatever is going on. Like even if they say stuff that I don't agree with, I just I won't say I don't agree with that. <laughs> That's no way to be in this world. Because when you say I agree. Or I disagree, you're just saying I like or I dislike what you're saying. Why? It's for you to know why. And sometimes you have to know when to let that other person have that thing too. You know? Like, just let them have it. <laughs> live and let live. Yeah, well, it's about understanding other people's thought processes. If you don't agree, I think Aaron said something similar earlier. If you don't agree, agree with them at that point in time, listen to their thought process, go away, learn it a little bit understand why they think that way and you might think the same way because after you've done a little bit of further research or conversation with other people you might think there's more truth but in what you you might believe them more after time flows than you did at that original time so yeah I, i've definitely noticed from doing the podcast that i would never say that i don't agree with anything anyone says because time and time again if I, in my head i thought i don't agree with that i've been proven different um further down the line so yeah. yeah the things that i disagree with are the things that i know are wrong <laughs> and like that actually don't serve a purpose that you know i've researched um forever and, and right now i'm finally getting to a point with the the guests where i'm reaching people that have insight to give me it's not stuff that i haven't heard before you know so um that that's helpful but we place a lot of barriers between ourselves and other people with this need to agree or disagree. Um, pe most people are just walking around with a head full of stuff that they've rehearsed for a lifetime. And it's not our responsibility to try to change them or um, tell them anything different from what they know, really. If it's for them to know, they'll find out. Life will beat them down. <laughs> So, yeah, thank you very much for coming on. Um, I think if you're willing to, we should do this again because there's been a few times where you've held back from going deep on certain subjects. Um, yeah, so it, think... it's a lot. It's a lot. And I know that people, and what I've learned from um, doing this work is that when you're dropping knowledge, people are trying to take notes instead of just sitting back and listening, knowing that they can go back and re-listen again and again and again. They want to get that now because they get that hit, that dopamine hit or whatever. And they're like, oh, shit, I got to write this down. And I, I try to do my best, but it, uh, all of this stuff is so deep. And I think that's why it intimidates the average person. It is so deep that I know that what I'm saying already is too deep. If I go any deeper, they're going to drown. Yeah, you know, well... I definitely understand that because I wouldn't have even been able to have this conversation with you about a year ago or maybe a year and a half ago. But as people progress, then they can go to that level deeper. So I understand for 
most people is really going somewhere well for us it feels just like a we're learning a shitload but at the same time it just feels like a right conversation that we're having other people i can i understand that it may drown them to a certain degree because it is crazy to be honest what was i (laughs) yeah yeah There's so much more stuff we can get into, but I feel like you'd have to go through this episode with a fine tooth comb and get specific questions for me to clarify things, you know? 100%. I think we should do this again. 100%. Yeah, sure. No problem. Thank you so much for coming on. All right. Thanks for having me. It's been good. Cheers. All right. Cheers. Bye, guys.